Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, my guest is Brooklyn-based designer Shannon Campanero of SKL. In 2008, Shannon exploded onto the design scene with her bold prints that feel one part watercolor and one part modern Rorschach. I have been a fan of not just her work, but her business drive since the beginning. I had the pleasure of hearing more about her work in business philosophy during one of our Biz Ladies lunches back in 2012, and I have been dying to ask her some more questions ever since. So I'm thrilled to have Shannon here today. So thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, before we dive into business stuff, because I feel like I have a million questions I want to ask you about, because I really admire the way you kind of grow, have grown your business and the way you sort of approach, I think, a lot of things people find as roadblocks. I remember hearing you talk at lunch that day, and you seem to just fly through them like they weren't a problem. So I feel like you have some secrets I'd like to to break down. Okay. But um, let's start way back in the beginning. Um, tell everybody listening who's not familiar with you where you grew up. Um, I grew up in San Diego, California. And what was your family like? Were they particularly artistic? or? Hmm. If my mother's listening, she will say <laughs> yes. <laughs> but actually, my parents own a fitness company. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, my dad was a bodybuilder. He actually, he invented the total gym. No way. The one that's on TV with Chuck Norris. And <laughs> that is such a great claim to fame. Yeah. And my mom is their marketing director. So she um, is the creative, but it's fitness crea- creativity. Yeah. But that's fantastic. I mean, you've got somebody in your family who's a great example of like starting your own business and making that go and then your mom making that happen from the marketing end. That's I think that's a really valuable thing to have in your family as an example, especially if you're someone who's starting their own thing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely always wanted to have my own company, probably from watching them. But I also feel like I learned a lot from their mistakes. What did you think you would be or what did you want to be when you were little? An artist. An artist. (laughs) Did you have a particular medium in mind or did you just want to be creative? I wanted to be an artist. I think I started doing like oil paintings when I was really young because my parents were both taking oil painting classes. But um, then afterwards... I wanted to be a scientist, like when I was a teenager. And I actually almost got a chemistry degree, which was like turning into a math degree and a physics degree. And I was three years in when I quit and then went and did an art degree. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. What was sort of the turning point that made you quit? Uh, I think I was just having a hard time deciding to go with one thing. And then um, I did a my junior year abroad in Italy and my parents were, were like, you have to uh, pick a path and stick with it. <laughs> um, so then I chose art. That's so cool. So you went to Central St. Martin's in London. How did you choose to go there? Uh, when I was in Italy, I had a Swiss boyfriend <laughs> and I wanted to stay in Europe to be near him. So I went to Switzerland for a year and I applied for art school there. But I also applied in London because I wanted to speak English at school. And I just found some 
colleges online, and one of them was Central St. Martin's, and I applied, and they let me in. And what was your focus when you were there? It was, I started out painting, and then I did a lot of photography, and then I I kind of finished up my degree doing um, pen and ink. I had, like, a, a cartoon character that I made books and, like, stories, and it was kind of, like, um, a little bit autobiographical, but more fantastical than my actual life. It was pretty silly. I think that sounds awesome. The character have a name? Melissa. Melissa. <laughs> was it, what was the style like? I'm trying to imagine the way I look at your print, like your pattern work now and imagining that. It looks that. nothing like Totally different. Yeah, it was like only black and white. Yeah. Super linear, <laughs> um, like d- definitely inspired by like other comic artwork. It was a little bit dark too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was, a, I was, it was a lot different. It's really interesting when somebody finally pushed me to add color to my work. Mm. That's when everything changed. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I want to ask you more about color when we get into the details of your work. Um, but what was your sort of first big step as a designer professionally? Because you've worked in graphic design and fashion. How did you, what was your sort of first big move into that field? Uh, my mom threw out her back and she, my dad had to travel a bunch for work. And um, I was in New York after having my art degree for about a year or two. And I was like a bartender and I couldn't make any money doing anything. And I wanted to learn like Photoshop and Illustrator. And she was like, if you come take care of me for this month, you can work at the um, in her office, like in her marketing department. And her creative director taught, agreed to teach me Illustrator and Photoshop and stuff like that. So I spent a month working there making like their ads and yeah stuff. that's so fascinating so what was the first move towards creating your own company well actually I started SKL when I was still in college with two friends who were um print designers they're in the fashion department and we made t-shirts and sold them at Camden Market so that was the first time SKL existed mm-hmm. and then when I moved to New York after I was learning graphic design I tried to make SKL like a streetwear company because I was really into sneakers <laughs> and streetwear <laughs> It's really embarrassing, actually. But yeah, I made t-shirts and that didn't work. I can totally see your pattern work on sneakers. I feel like that would work on a high top. Now, I would love to go back to that. But I was doing like still linear, like super graphic, like um, cartoon influence type stuff back then. Well, let's talk about the evolution of your style. So you're talking about that kind of cartoon, super linear move. How did you move from that into what you do now, which is a lot of like really beautiful hand-painted things that have a very distinct watercolor sort of vibe to them? I got an internship with Toby Jedio, who's She's like, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's a really amazing fashion illustrator. And she agreed to look at my work. And when she saw what I was doing, she was like, she, now she's a good friend of mine. And- <laughs> She was basically like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but nicely, she said, why don't you try to loosen up and add some color? And she just, because I was doing everything really linear with mm-hmm. pen. And she was like, why don't you use ink and just get loose and just play with it? And then, yeah. And then since then, it's been about getting looser and looser and looser. Talk about your first collection and how did that come about? That was because I, yeah, I've. I guess I just wanted to start something. Oh, I made wallpaper for my house, and then I thought maybe I could turn it into something, so I applied for Brooklyn Designs, and then I got in, and then I had to make it into a company to do the <laughs> actual show. What, how did you make that first piece of wallpaper for your house? Did you use, like, Spoonflower or some like, the printed things, or did you do it actually like, entirely on your own? Um, what were they called? Replicate? Do you remember <gasps> Replicate? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Replicate was 
in like the neighborhood print shop and I asked them if they could figure out like, if there was some kind of wallpaper or substrate and yeah. they, they just found the paper that we still use for most of our paper. They found it for me. And then uh, I just asked a friend who was like a set designer to help me install it. And um, after a year of living with it, I still liked it. So I thought, oh, maybe this could be something. That's a good sign. I feel like people are sometimes terrified of wallpaper for that. Yeah, I mean, even I was terrified. I was like, I don't know why I want to do this, but I'm just going to try it. And then I really liked it. And it was a pretty crazy pattern, too. It was yeah. much more bold than maybe some of the stuff I do now. So. Yeah. One of the things I love about your sort of business philosophy is that you're incredibly focused on eco-friendly and eco-friendly production methods. Um, tell us a little bit, of, bit more about what sort of challenges that presents for you as a business owner and why that's important for you to kind of stick with that eco-friendly mission. Um, it was important to me because that's kind of my main focus as far as any kind of charity. I feel like um, the environment's a really important issue for me. Um, but yeah, it's challenging in a lot of ways, but it also makes things easier because mm -hmm. there's just lots of things that aren't options like producing in China or, you know, using vinyl for our contract paper. Um, there's also a lot of innovations like... Um, that we use digital printing technology, which so it's all water-based inks, which is, um, there's a, a new printer that allows us to do that on our contract paper. There's new contract paper that's made from recycled materials. It's just, it's a little bit hard, but it's also kind of easy. It's like, there's not that many options. So it's yeah. like, okay, this is what our contract paper is. It's, there's only one option that's 30% post-consumer recycled material and it's not vinyl. So that's what we use. <laughs> I think that's so great, though, because if you think about some of the huge, huge wallpaper producers that are out there that still aren't using water-based inks, they're still not using recycled or recyclable paper, and those options are out there. And I'm guessing they're probably a bit more, like, their cost is higher, I'm guessing. Or are they about the same? I don't know. I think the wallpaper industry is it's kind of old, and it, in the 80s when it was big, everything was vinyl. Yeah. It was really bad for the environment. There was a ton of waste. Um I think a lot of wallpaper, you know, it's all about being hand-printed. It's like the whole handmade quality is really important to people. Um, a lot of the paper is not vinyl. It's sustainably sourced. Mm -hmm. um, and our paper, I don't even think our – one of our papers isn't actually sustainably sourced. But the inks aren't made of vinyl, so they don't give off VOCs. So there's trade-offs. Um, but I don't know about the hand-printed if – I think most of the ink has vinyl in it, but I think you can do water-based ink. It's just a matter of, like, durability and wear. Yeah. Um, so those are choices, you know, the consumers ask about all the mm -hmm. time, like, if they can wash the wallpaper. Um, and people don't want to go digital because they don't, they don't feel like it's the handmade quality. Digital has still, like, a little bit of stigmatism, I guess. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing. I, I used to feel that sort of move against digital printing, and I was like, oh, I want this handmade feel. But at the same time, I think if you're using digital for all the things it can do well, you're not trying to make it look like it's something that it's not, it can open up a completely different door to a whole different type of pattern and different line work that doesn't really work for hand-printed things. Yeah, I mean, our stuff you can't actually hand-print. You can't get, like, all the watercolor look. We yeah. can't get... You could get the watercolor look, but not, like, as many colors and variation. You'd be using, like, hundreds of screens and it would look pixelated or something. I think of it as, like, art reproduction because people buy 
uh, see prints all the time. Those mm -hmm. are digitally printed yeah. art reproductions. It's yeah, and it's, that technology is basically good enough now that it's you can use it for wallpaper and it looks like a watercolor painting. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I love that that exists. Um, let's talk about when you expanded into different types of surface printing. So you're now selling everything from rugs and textiles to home furnishings. These like beautiful like sort of rag rope baskets that are like my favorite thing in the world and I remember seeing those in person at the motion shop in Williamsburg and they're just they're so gorgeous and I like the way that you've extended the entire like the color palette and the vibe of all of your work is in every piece that you do and sometimes that gets lost in translation when I've seen other designers try to translate like really very flat like pattern work into a different type of product you kind of lose the vibe of it but I feel like everything you do has translated really cleanly and that sort of very watery kind of laid back vibe how did you decide to expand and how did you choose which pieces you would start making uh well I feel like sometimes we've chosen things that haven't worked and then we stopped afterwards like last year we did some kids stuff that didn't work cost wise or production-wise. Like, we made these baskets that weren't made out of the ropes. Mm. They were just little bins, and they were, like, too floppy and too expensive. So sometimes we just try stuff, and it doesn't work, and then we just stop it. But um, I do a lot of meditation, asking for the right people to come to me. And the baskets with the ropes, it's just the woman who's the creative... She's in charge of, like, creative development at this place called Colonial Mills in Rhode Island. And she was like, you, we, did, we make these baskets. You should send us some scraps. I'll make you some free baskets. I think your patterns would look great in our baskets. So it was, it was her, not me. That's fantastic. Well, are you actually using scraps to make those baskets? Um, we So our fabric is so expensive. It makes the baskets really expensive because yeah. each rope takes up a lot of fabric. So the bigger baskets, we, we, we make per order for mm -hmm. people. They're relatively expensive though. They're like around $300, but they work at that size. But then the smaller ones we do for the holidays are all like scraps or remnants that we've used throughout the year or that we have left over from, from sorry, <laughs> from throughout the year. Yeah. I think that's so great that that's kind of a given and almost a normal thing that happens. I remember like 10 years ago when I started talking about like handmade work or sort of smaller scale designers like remnants and fabric were just things that went into the trash or they may maybe got recycled into like personal projects, but they were never things that were reimagined to like a completely brand new ready for sale product. And I love that you guys are doing that. And that's something that I think people just kind of do as a given, like, well, I've got these great scraps. What do I do with them? And those rope baskets are a very nice way to. I'm glad you like them. I should have brought you that instead of these cards because we have a bunch of the little <laughs> baskets. I didn't even think about it. I was like, I should bring her something. What? I don't need to bring me anything. That's very nice, though. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, I'm going to start asking you business questions because I have a million because I think you've got a really great business head on your shoulder. So we'll be right back with Shannon from SKL. <laughs>
Blueprint is the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and USDA certified organic ingredients, cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles. Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I've got Shannon Campanero of SKL in the studio, and we're talking about the sort of the birth of her first collections and these incredible sort of wall color or wall color water paper. I just combined both words <laughs> both times. Water. Very tired this morning. I don't know why. Watercolor style wallpapers, which are so so beautiful, and we're about to use some of them in our office. Um, but I want to talk about the business a little bit because I my I feel like my first big impression of you as a person outside of your design work is when you came to one of our biz ladies lunches and we had a couple other surface and pattern design people at the table and they were sort of struggling about how to price things and how to have the confidence to just kind of move forward and I remember you just sitting back in your chair and you were like well you just price it what it needs to be and then you just move on and you make things and you just <laughs> you had such a fearlessness about you that I thought was so incredible and so inspiring because your company was relatively new and I think a lot of people especially women really get scared to kind of put themselves out there like charge what they need to be charging to be like a working designer um where did that sort of gutsiness come from I think it's so inspiring and so interesting because I feel like a lot of people who work in pattern design get so scared about really kind of needing to price their work in a way that seems affordable but also allows them to make a profit and be working yeah, well, thanks. That's nice that you say that because I don't always, I don't feel like I'm like that. <laughs> um, but I do find myself giving people advice a lot about business side. Maybe because my parents had their own business mm -hmm. and I watched them go through stuff. Maybe it's just not as scary for me to just do the wrong thing and then learn from it mm. and then do the right thing. I think that's a, that's a valid point to me. What, what do you think are some of the mistakes you've made that you've learned from? I, fi I find I learn way more from the things I've done wrong and the things I've done right. Yeah, I mean, I've, well, like having products, definitely there was times when I was like, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And then I spent like all my money doing too many mm -hmm. things. And so I think um, one of the biggest things I've learned and that we're doing right now is definitely keeping things small and really like focusing on what already works. Like one of the things we've done recently is add more price points to wallpaper instead of, you know, trying to make, um, I was doing like a welcome mats a <laughs> couple of years ago that didn't really sell because I wanted to have an outlet for like more saturated color that mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to put in your walls or your fabric, but they just weren't that good and they just didn't sell. So yeah, we're focusing more on what works, which is wallpaper and fabric for us and pillows. And then, um, yeah, that's learning from mistakes and then just making the right changes, I think is definitely important. Who, who do you sort of look to, um, in terms of, of business or design inspiration? Is there a designer or a design school or people that you kind of look up to as people whose businesses you really respect and admire, perhaps want to emulate? 
I was thinking about that the other day. I have to say, I've been really, it's been really nice to work with Paulette Cole from ABC mm. because they really stick to their environmental mission. They and do they have like, so strongly. There's like guidelines for how to like pack your boxes. And I actually started, um, we have like a disclaimer on our website that says like when your roll wallpaper arrives in a box that doesn't have our logo on it and that might look <laughs> like it's reused, it probably is reused because we ask all of our vendors not to use new boxes but to reuse any old boxes mm-hmm. they have before they drop ship. Little things like that that I never even thought I could do. ABC is sending me a packet with like instructions on like don't use styrofoam in your box, don't yeah. use this, use pattern scra- or fabric scraps as stuffing if you can and things like that. So we've been working with all of our um, producers who drop ship for us with on packaging like that. That was something kind of inspiring and totally behind the scenes. That's great, especially for a company like ABC that's like incredibly high end in a way and you expect a certain level of quality from them. I love to I love finding out that they're kind of really pushing that on people selling in their store to sort of carry down their eco mission from their high level down to like the lowest level of like how you pack a box. It's kind of amazing that they do that. And then, you know, we just had our iPhone cases come out and they were like, we love the iPhone cases, but they're plastic. Mm. (laughs) So they won't sell them. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're plastic. Yeah. And then I was like, ooh. What can you make them out of now? <laughs> Somehow molding remnant fabric. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give somebody who's looking to get started in your industry right now? I feel like the, the community and the audience that you're entering as a pattern designer or just a designer in general right now is so different than it was like 10 or 15 years ago. What's sort of the biggest tip you'd give somebody who's looking to start? Um, I think maybe like, don't make anything you wouldn't put in your own house, mm. which I'm sure sounds super obvious. Um, and the other thing I think that was really good for our business was that we never, ever, ever dealt with stock. This is what I think our main, like the main thing that works for us is that one of the luxuries with home, as opposed to fashion, where I worked before, is that you really you can make everything to order. And if you make stuff to order, then you'll never get stuck with like investing in tons of stock, mm-hmm. and then. It doesn't sell and you don't have any money left. Yeah. So if you make everything to order and make everyone pay you up front, you're always kind of able to just keep going order by order. Have you gotten any pushback on that in terms of having people pay up front and then make to order with a little bit of lead time? Or do you find most people are totally fine with that? In home, I think like interior designers are totally fine with that. Yeah. Um, in retail, like with ABC or Anthropology, there's been a lot of pushback. Um, but there was um, no way that I could front people yeah. for their orders. So basically it was like, well, I can't sell to you because we didn't have any capital or anything when we started. So, mm-hmm. But now we're at a point where we are letting bigger uh, customers. Like ABC have like 15 days ROG or something like that. Yeah. But it's still really hard because my credit card gets maxed out. <laughs> And then, like, 30 days later, I finally, like, pay it down. But um, it's, I just think that's a really – that's the main thing, I think, that helped us keep mm-hmm. going through, like, times of slow business or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's important. I mean, I think it's a good tip for people who are going to start an independent business to kind of stick to their guns and say, I can't afford to front you, like, three months of stuff. You're going to have to pay whatever it is up front. And I like that you kind of stick to that. Yeah, I mean, you can only do what you can do. Another thing is, like, charging for samples, mm. which is something we're finally able to um, send people free samples as 
much as we can, but and especially through our showrooms, like Studio mm-hmm. Four. But we charge for samples, and we there was a point like a year and a half ago where basically people were asking for samples and I couldn't afford to make the yeah. samples. And that's when I really like put my foot down or maybe it was two years ago. And we were just like, we're, we charge for samples. Like we just had to do that because otherwise yeah. we couldn't make the samples. So. I'm curious. I also wanted to know how you sort of engage with your audience and like your buying audience these days. I think I've been so fascinated to see how independent designers have used like social media to engage with their readers. And you have a really successful and active Instagram account. Are you using social media consciously to kind of engage with your audience? Or is that something that's just kind of an extension of what you're personally interested in? Uh, I think we try, but we're not awesome. I we have I have a full time assistant now for the it's just been about a year, um, and she's been helping a lot with Facebook and the blog. Mm-hmm. And even though I love I love talking about blog posts, but um, I didn't have time to actually make them. So now I can like come up with stuff and give it to her, and she does it. And that goes on Facebook, and I'm terrible at Facebook. But Instagram, I just really like it. Mm-hmm. It's like speaks. I think it's like the perfect thing for designers. People say that all the time because you don't have to say anything. It's just a visual. I agree. I mean, and especially for a medium like this where everything is about a picture and everything is about kind of selling this like vision of what you do. I've been fascinated to watch. Like I was looking the last two days. Um, I don't know if you know Ariel Alasco, who has been selling like cutting boards and spoons and things like that. And it's just like she kind of touts them ahead of time and then does a sale that way. And I've been fascinated to watch like how that affects business without ever having to write a blog post or put it on Twitter or like buy advertising. Instagram has become this like very powerful way to promote things. Her feed is really nice. It's yeah, I it's very well styled her. too. I think if you can have a consistent aesthetic like that, it's so it's such a strong marketing tool and it's completely free, which is so great. And you can do posts on Instagram and then it automatically goes on your Twitter and mm-hmm. your Facebook. So you don't have to, try so hard on those too yeah that's nice it's nice to take a little bit of work off your social media plate yes (laughs) um well we're almost out of time but i want to ask you a few quick questions um i would love to know what your five studio must-haves are so when you go into work every day what are the five things you like can't start work without that could be like your coffee whatever it is what are the five things you couldn't do work without every day i can't work if there's a mess (laughs) so a clean clean Um, I can't work without my computer. <laughs> um, I don't know. I drink this stuff called Ionic Fizz. It's like a vitamin fizz. Ionic Fizz? Yeah. It sounds like a really great band name. Yeah. It's like, um, it tastes kind of like Crystal Light. It's raspberry <laughs> lemonade flavor. <laughs> it's really good. I have that every morning. Um, I don't know. Uh, Does your dog come to work? Yeah. I mean, our studio dog. is in our, we have a big loft, so it's our office is like the front part of our house. Um, so the dog, yeah. Um, I don't know. I Can't think those th- are pretty good for the Ionic Fizz tip alone. I've, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of Google searches for that happening. Yeah, because I hate taking like a handful of vitamins. Oh, so it's like all the vitamins and like a really yummy drink. That's it. That's what I do with emergency, which I'm sure is like way less healthy, but... It's the only way I'm going to get that required amount of vitamin C in my system every day. And Ionic Fizz is good for females because there's a calcium and a, there's a ca- calcium uh, super DK plus vitamin Ionic Fizz. That's awesome. I like it. Health advice from SKL. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is what would you tell yourself if you were looking back at Shannon just graduating from college or like 10 years ago? What advice would you sort of give yourself then knowing what you know now? Quit smoking pot. <laughs> Quit smoking pot way sooner than you did. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> that was just a really bad advice that I had when I finally stopped my whole life changed. And don't go out with that guy. <laughs> I think that might be the best advice we've ever gotten on air. I like it. I, I, I can't think of a way you're ever going to top that answer. So I think it's a good place to close out today. Shannon, thanks so much for being here today. Um, for everyone listening, you can check out, check out Shannon at skl.com, which is spelled E-S-K-A-Y-E-L.com. And you can check her out on Instagram. Um, it's the, her just name is SKL. Thanks so much for being here. And um, I'm going to send you pictures of our office wallpaper soon. Yay! <laughs> and we'll see you guys next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.